Hello and welcome to another episode of Under the Lights. It's just a week and a half to go until the new Premier League season kicks off. This episode, it's all about transfers. My name is Tom Murray. My name is Carl Wilson and this is Under the Lights. So just a, a week and a half until the Premier League kicks off. We've obviously had a bit of football up in Scotland, which no one's really been paying any attention to, apart from when Celtic, of course, lose at home to the Hungarian champions and get knocked out of the Champions League before it even starts. Uh, we've only just had the Champions League final and we've already uh, found out that Arsenal are the team to f- pick up the first bit of uh, meaningless silverware of the season. They've got the... Uh, They've got the charity shield, and then it's it's England up next. So no rest for the wicked. We're looking ahead to the uh, the Premier League in this particular episode of this podcast. Uh, we've got twenty teams. Uh, we know the twenty teams, and we've seen them do a little bit of business, some more than others. Uh, and we're going to be looking ahead to the rest of the transfer window, and we're going to be looking at every individual club and picking out one player that we believe. Uh, would be a really good fit for them and they should be looking at signing uh, in certain positions. It's a bit of a weird one, Tom, isn't it, the transfer window this time around? Uh, We did this uh, last season and obviously we did it just after the season had started. We'd had a game or two and we were were coming towards the end of the transfer window with a few little signings left to come in. So we pretty much knew the squads for each side. Very different this time around, though. Yeah, really different. The transfer window has been relatively quiet, apart from Chelsea, who are just storming through whoever they can get their hands on. But yeah, as we expected from the coronavirus situation, we thought that this window would be, there'd be a a lot less activity. That does seem to be the case. But of course, the window does extend this time all the way until October. So there's still a whole month and a few weeks after that to then make those signings. Clubs may be a bit apprehensive of spending money, considering that Some of them may rely heavily on their income from fans. Of course, fans are not in the stadiums at the moment. But we did this last season, as you said. It was quite a popular episode, so we thought we'd have another crack at it. We've gone for realistic signings. Obviously, we're not thinking that Liverpool should sign all of Barcelona's front three. But we're going to... Although, potentially, they could... But, at the moment, the way things are going. Although, yeah, yeah, they, 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 potentially, uh, they potentially could. And Barcelona's signing of Martin Braithwaite is now looking like a, ge- a stroke of genius, as he could be the only player left at the club come the first game of the season. Yeah, so what we're going to do, uh, a little bit different this, this time around, um, if you're happy, Tom, we'll, we'll go through alphabetical order um, through all 20 clubs. We'll put forward a player that we think uh, would be a, a really useful signing for them. Put forward a player each, if they are different, We'll um, have a little bit of, of a, a light-hearted debate and see if we can uh, compromise and come to a mutual agreement on uh, on which player of those two we think would have the biggest and best impact. Happy with that? I'm perfectly happy with that. Let's start with the Gunners, who have actually just made uh, another signing just today with the, the defensive centre-back of, uh, of Gabriel coming in. Whilst I think Arsenal need to strengthen in defence, I think a, a good signing for them this summer is actually a player that was on loan to them last season. And if they could make the transfer of Danny Caballos a, a, a permanent one or maybe get him back for another year, I think that would really benefit the Gunners. Seeing as he had such a positive impact on the team last season, he really got into the vibe and the atmosphere of Arsenal. He got into the dressing room and he seemed to be a really well-liked player, not just in the team, but by the fans as well. And I think if they could bring him back, he was very key 
and created plenty of chances for Aubameyang. And I think that instead of getting someone else to maybe who maybe needs time to bed themselves into the Premier League, Caballos is already at that pace. He knows the league now. He's had that year experience. And I think if they Arsenal could bring him back, that would be really a really good signing for them. Yeah, um, same position, different type of player. I'm looking at it, and, and he's one that uh, Arsenal have been linked with um, for a good year or so now, a couple of windows, and a player that I really rate highly. I actually thought that he was he was maybe uh, a bit of an ambitious one for Arsenal when it first came about, but it sounds like there's potential for it, um, and and around a similar sort of fee um, they could get Cabarrus for, and that's for uh, Thomas Partey. At, Atletico Madrid. I think he is the perfect player for Arsenal. We say it every single season, and they probably won't get him because uh, Arsenal never do replace that Gilberto Silva type of player. They've been looking for a, a tough tackling central midfielder for 15 years, and uh, and they still haven't gone and got it. As much as I think Kouas is a good player, and I think he'll do a better job under Arteta. Um, he was there last season. He did find himself in and out of the squad and much more of a, a passer um, like a Xhaka. And although Arsenal did play that type of football for a long time, I, th- I still think they're, they're missing that steely, um, energetic, tough tackler in midfield. And I think Thomas Partey would be a, would be a really decent choice and give them something that they've lacked for a long time. Yeah, no, I, I think that's also a really good suggestion. There's been links to, to Partey. It's like um, it's like the transfer of Lacazette where he was linked for so many windows and you just thought, our Arsenal, like they go like uh, a match made in heaven. It's just a case of who can actually get the deal over the line. I can definitely get on the, uh, the Thomas Partey bandwagon purely because, you know, young player... They really do miss that physicality in the middle, which Caballos doesn't really provide because, he, of course, he's more of like an architect of, of the moves. And I just feel that if they get party, that's that's good. That makes their midfield more robust because, really, you look at Arsenal's midfield and you think that's easily overrun. That's quite It's quite a weak, weak midfield to have. Maybe Xhaka the strongest out of all of them, but then he has the propensity to uh, to get himself sent off quite a few times. If you then take Caballos out, you're then expecting them to have a creative player in behind their attacking three. And then it's just a case of, will Ozil be a part of the team? He was left out of pretty much every fixture after Project Restart. Uh, Has he got a part to play under Arteta? If they can get him going, then, you know, they have a fantastic player. But, you know, with Ozil, it's very much been the cold side of the hot and cold scale. They've got creativity out wide. If those players turn up, they've got... William signed. They've obviously got Aubameyang, who's been playing out on the left. I prefer him through the middle. They've got Lacazette, as you mentioned. And um, and if Nicolas Pepe can uh, get over that torrid first season and, and show consistently what he showed in glimpses, they do have those attacking threats. They've also got the young players, the likes of the Willocks that they, that they play. So, uh, as you mentioned last season, when we did our Premier League predictions, they are a team that are top-loaded, really. It's going forward. They've got a lot of, of good attacking players, but defensively and with that back three or back four, however they play it, uh, I do think they need some protection. I think Caballos would maybe get the edge if he, they could get him reasonably cheap, but I've heard some pretty hefty figures for a player that they had on loan, whereas I think an injection of someone like Party would be a new player and, and a real improvement. Um, and I think 
they're both sort of rumoured at around the forty million mark, aren't they? So will Arsenal pay that? Okay, so either or then I think I think Cabias is a, in, in in the real world I think Cabias is a closer transfer but I having gone through the points that have been made I'd probably be siding with party because they need that player to protect the back four which is something that Arsenal has lacked considerably especially over the first part of last season and you feel now with the signing of Gabriel if they can get that sort of midfield general to sit in front of that back four then they could potentially have a good season so I'm going to go with party Give me party on that one, okay. But we both we both think central midfield. That's where Arsenal need to strengthen one way or another. Aston Villa next up. Now they're one of a few teams that are in the same court sort of market, and I think they're all looking for someone who's going to get them goals. This one of the first teams, um, and I think a really good fit for them would be the uh, Championship Player of the Year, uh, Ollie Watkins. He uh, has been prolific for the last few seasons. I was really looking forward to seeing him in the Premier League this year. And he's, uh, unfortunately, Brentford losing out. Uh, had a few chances to get up into the Premier League, but didn't quite make it. Um, I'd like to see him in the Premier League, and I think he'd be a really good fix. Just the kind of player that Aston Villa need. They've got the service, they've got good midfielders, they need someone to finish, and he could go and get into a Premier League side and comfortably be their first choice striker. I completely agree. I've got exactly the same player down to join Villa. They lack goals. They seriously do. And obviously, they got Wesley for a large fee last season. He hasn't quite hit the ground running, scored a few goals, but then was out injured for the majority of last season. So, you know, you can give him that one off maybe because he hasn't, he simply hasn't played the games. But from the matches I saw initially, yes, he looked quite physical, but he did sort of snatch at some chances. And if Villa, I, I feel this season, and we'll talk about it more in the predictions episode, but I think Villa will struggle this season. They only survived because of a technical error. So I think they could really struggle. And But if they can get someone in to get them goals, like Ollie Watkins, then, you know, they may just survive on the on the right side of the relegation line. You make a good point as well. I mean, they have got Wesley, and when he does come back, but he's a different type of player. And also, um, suddenly you go from having no options up front to potentially a really exciting double act, the big man who can win the headers and, and hold the ball up, and then Watkins who can run in behind. And we've also seen previous seasons, I mean, he's converted from a, a left winger um, to uh, to the main striker with uh, Neil Mulpai moving into the Premier League. We obviously have previous, you know, the likes of Mulpai went up and he's, he hit double figures this season. So, yeah, and Ollie Watkins got uh, 25 goals in the Championship last season, just one off of Alexander Mitrovic in the uh, in the top scorer charts. The third place had 20, so those two standouts. So he's off the back of a, of a real good run of, of goal scoring form and I, do, I really do think that for 18 million you're getting a young player and he's going to hit the ground running I think he'll get goals early so yeah. we're going to agree on Ollie Watkins we can, we can, because we haven't got any other choice there that's that's unanimous we can definitely agree on that let's move on to the next side let's look at Brighton um, I've gone for a striker for Brighton I've gone with Darwin Nunez who uh, plays for Almeria and I feel that obviously without Neil Morpai in the side you don't really know who's going to get goals for the Seagulls Aaron Connolly also managed to grab a couple, but aside from a game against Spurs, he wasn't scoring prolifically enough to really warrant him being the, the, the second man. I think Darwin Nunes, 16 goals and 30 appearances for Almeria as they got promotion to La Liga last season. He's a Uruguayan young striker. I feel that he could fit Graham Potter's star quite well. He can hold the ball up well and also get in behind. And I think if he can play off Morpai and get a good partnership going there, then that could be a, along with the fact that they've now got Adam Lallana as well, they've got the creative flair. If he can play in behind those two and then, you know, they could wreak havoc in front of goal. 
you can see them playing. I mean, they play three at the back, don't they, some, a lot of the time. So, And he does often play two up front. Uh, my only worry would be if they were to play one up front, is he going to be able to dislodge Malpai and is he going to be the, uh, the first starter? Because I think if he does go to Brighton, he's going to expect to be playing, as is Malpai. So I think they'd have to play um, two up front. Do you think that's going to be something realistically with the likes of Lalana playing? So he's going to go with a 3-5-2? I think it definitely can happen because if you've got two quality strikers and you can fit a system with maybe a playmaker sat behind them in Lalana, then yes, it may be an alteration to what you play normally, but that could also be sort of a master trick really and get you quite a few goals. If he is going to go with one up front, then the fact that he's now going to have real competition for places, because if you fa- if you think about it, Morpai doesn't really have much competition, apart maybe uh, Connolly and then you've got Mac Allister who didn't score last season. Yeah, Glenn Murray on his way out. So. Exactly. So apart yeah. from aside from Morpai, you don't really look at that Brighton strike line and you think and think they're going to get a goal if Morpai's out. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it depends on the formation he wants to play. Like you said, he's got Dan Byrne who could play on the left of, of the back three with Webster uh, the other side of Dunk, which is which is obvious. Seems like um, Ben White's going to be there as well. So they've got a few options at centre back. So I can see them doing that. Um, if they're not going to play that formation, then I'm looking at the wingers. And apart from Trossard, who was hit and miss, they've lost Moy, an attacking midfielder. Gross it doesn't seem to uh, be on it anymore like he was after that first year. Solly March, yeah, Hattenbash. There's a lot of nearly men there, Esquierdo. And I just wonder if uh, Brighton is the sort of team that could go in and get Ryan Fraser from, uh, from his, well... We say a poor season. He didn't play all the all the season, did he? He thought he was off to Arsenal, and now it seems like the likes of Fulham are, and Crystal Palace are in for him. And I think Brighton could go in and get Ryan Fraser, and they'd have creativity to uh, to set up the uh, the forward man in in Malpai. I think getting Alana in, he's going to play in the middle. You've got the likes of Proper and Basuma who can play uh, defensively. But on the wings, I just think they've got a lot of men there that really they could get rid of um, and replace with some proven Premier League quality. So I'm putting Ryan Fraser forward for the uh, for the Brighton transfer. Between Nunez and Fraser, I'm going to leave that one to you, Callum. You make the call. On the basis that I think they're going to play three at the back, uh, especially with Ben White being kept there, I think they are likely to play three five two with wing backs like Lamptey. So um, in that instance that probably is less of a place for Ryan Fraser and more of a place for Nunez so I'm going to let you have have the big man who scored a lot of goals for Amira last season. Let's go on to Burnley Callum who who do you think they need to get? I've got uh, I've got a couple of players here very similar playing the same position both relegated last season for Burnley there's a certain type of player that Burnley sign and they're a player that can be coached that'll give you 100% and that Sean Dyche can get absolutely everything out of and with Hendrick having left, he played on the right of a midfield four, but he never really played wide. He almost played um, as an inside, almost like a third central midfielder. He just covered that space. I think they need another player that's similar to that. And um, I've got Will Hughes and Todd Cantwell as, uh, as two players that I think really could uh, fill that void. I think Will Hughes played that position a lot for Watford, and I think he'd be more suited to that position. But Cantwell would be my preference of the two in terms of excitement and ability. And I think last season uh, he was terrific. So those I'm putting both of those forward as a, as as an option for, for Burnley. If you made me pick, I'd go Canwell because I prefer him of the two players. 
Okay, I've gone for a more boring, a more solid signing for them. But again, from one of the relegation relegated sides, I've actually got Phil Billing because I think that Burnley, they're, they're set as a, for goalkeepers. They're set for the defence. I think now that Jay Rodriguez has really found his previous form again, they're sort of set up front. They've already got tricky players such as Dwight McNeil, who I think is really, really coming on as quite the player in the Premier League. I think that in the middle... If they can, I mean, Philip Billing, what, he's six foot four. We know that Burnley like to play with strong, robust players. I think maybe if they could bring him in, just add a bit more solidarity to the middle of the pitch, then they could be a pretty dominant side. Because when you, when it comes to Sean Dyche, you're not going to get some Spanish tricky winger that's going to that's going to come in from one of the... Um, that's just not the type of player that he wants. Philip Billing, I think, would fit his style of play quite well. Very robust, very solid, getting the ball from A to B. And I just think that... Whilst he struggled in the Bournemouth side, I thought for when he was at Huddersfield, he was one of their standout players. And, you know, he's still young. He's really young. He's only 24. And I think whilst it's not a very exciting signing, I think it'd just be one that would help them keep ticking over. Yeah, uh, Burnley aren't going to be getting the exciting signings. Like like you said, I think we did this last year. We were looking at similar sorts of players, really. Um, Yes, and midfield is where they need to strengthen. I mean, they've got they've got the left wing sorted. They've got McNeil and they've got Brady come back from injury. Uh, in the middle, they've got Jack Cork, who's going to start Westwood, and then uh, Brownhill, who was a really good player for for Bristol City, who came. I think he went to them in January, but he's he's in there. So they've got a few players. Goodmanson is the only one who plays out on the right. They lost Aaron Lennon. Um, he's gone on a free. They lost Jeff Hendrick, so I think the, and, and Goodmanson's missed a lot of last season. So um, I think I do think they need to strengthen in both positions. I think they need a fourth central midfielder, but I think if Goodmanson isn't fit, I think suddenly they're they're really lacking on that right side. And I've got to be honest, I don't really rate Phil Billing. Um, two relegations, two seasons, and from what I saw in both those seasons, I, it's easy to be a the best of a bad crop at Huddersfield, but I, I thought he was going to do reasonably well at Bournemouth, and uh, and I thought he was poor. So I'm 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 pushing for Todd Cantwell on on Burnley's right. I'm going to actually I'm going to side with you. I'm going to agree because I think that they they when you think of uh, Burnley's midfield, the right side does seem to be quite slow paced, quite weak, lacking creativity, especially with now that Hendrick has gone. Of course, he went to Newcastle and not the uh, the dazzling lights of Milan. But um, I think that, yeah, a, a Todd Cantwell, a Will Hughes, very, very solid out on the right. They just add a bit. It's Otherwise, it's a bit lopsided towards Dwight McNeil as being their only real creative player. So I think that for them, yeah, I think if they can add someone on that right side, especially if Goodmanson is going to miss out uh, a lot of the season as well, he's not going to get into the team as much, then I'm going to side with you. Or that I, I reckon I'd probably pick Will Hughes. I know Todd Campwell does have a bit more flair. I think I'd rate him a bit higher, but I think that he's not as robust. As, um, he's not robust enough yeah. to being a Burnley signing. I think he is almost in the Jack Grealish mould of maybe just being a bit too much of a flair player, not not strong enough especially at the stage that he currently is at. So I'd go for Will Hughes, who, despite the early promise, is still turning into a solid player, but I think he's a far more Deitch signing, if that's... Uh, yeah, that's no, it. I get what you're saying. I mean, like I said earlier, I think he'd play, he'd be more of a Burnley signing. However, um, you, you do get hard work out 
Todd Cantwell. We'll rule out Hughes because I didn't choose him. Um, so we're going to give uh, Burnley fans a little bit of, of excitement over someone like Phil Billing and go with a bit more of a flair player who would, I think, still fit the, the mould there. Um, so Todd Cantwell for Burnley. I think the next one's going to be pretty quick for me. Um, Chelsea are signing pretty much everyone. Sounds like they're going to get Habert, so I'm not putting him in. Um, but they need a goalkeeper, so I'm putting in Nick Pope. I'm going for Jan Oblak, um, the Atletico keeper, one of the best keepers in the world. For any of those listeners who like FIFA, I think he's rated 91 or something. So at the moment, it may be out of, I mean, out of Chelsea's price range. Could they be able to tempt him to come over? But with the players that they're getting at the moment, that's not really, um, it's certainly not impossible. But yeah, I think we can both be in agreement that Chelsea are improving all over the pitch. And if they can get in a solid goalkeeper, then they really could be challenging for the title next season. I'm going to stick with Jan Oblak. I think he, uh, over Nick Pope, purely because I think at 27, he's still not in his prime. He's a ridiculously good keeper. However, I think Pope would be a more realistic addition for them. Yeah, I'd go for that. If you had a choice between the two, then it's obviously Oblak. I think Oblak's probably the best goalkeeper in the world. I just don't know how much... I don't, just don't know how much Atletico would need from uh, from Chelsea, especially considering that they spent, what was it, 72 million on Kepa, who's mm. average at best. Um, I think they're going to give him a chance from what I've heard from Petr Cech today. But uh, yeah, out of the two, I'd want Oblak um, and they're spending money at the moment. So it was not beyond the realms of possibility. I wonder if maybe there's an option for, for a player plus cash deal in that but I think Chelsea fans would be happy to see either of them yeah and I think based on the fact that it's a more realistic signing I'd, I'd stick I'd, I'd go with Nick Pope on that one but obviously on black would be uh, would be the dream but I think Pope is a bit more of a, a realistic shout for them okay okay we'll go with Pope then but um, like we said if, if money is no object then uh, then not black is the goalkeeper in the world that you want to be signing right now Right, Crystal Palace. Who are you going with with Palace? For me, they're another team um, in desperate need of goals. They are in desperate need of goals. However, I've gone through a, a different area of the pitch. I initially, if, if we'd done this episode maybe a week or so earlier, I'd have said that um, Eze signing would be key for them, but that's actually happened. Um, I yeah, think... same. I had Eze written down uh, weeks ago. as one of the yeah. first ones, and he's... Uh... He's already he's already gone, so we can't go uh, we can't go with that. Can't go with can't go with him, I think. But obviously, he's a very natural Palace signing. I think he will, even if Zaha goes or not, then he's sort of like the natural replacement for that kind of player. I think I've actually gone with um, Abdoulaye Decoré for Crystal Palace because I think that they've got such an ageing midfield and there they have Milivojevic, but I think whilst he's more of a creative influence, you need someone who can break up the play and also be able to carry it forward. Decoré is still 27 years old. He's far too good to be staying in the Championship. I still don't like him because he handballed it against uh, Saints those years ago, but I won't... I won't discount the fact that he is a quality midfielder. And I think that my move to Palace, you know, they've got to start getting younger players in. Yeah, 27 is still not on the younger side of, of, of things. But in terms of their midfield, it's ageing. It, he's got legs. He's got determination. He's got work rate. And I think he would be a solid signing um, for, for Palace and would fit into their style of play of just making the pitch narrow. Um, yeah, I, I think he's a good player. I think he might have his eyes set uh, a little bit higher than Crystal Palace. Um, and I don't know if Palace, I don't know if Rodgerson's going to be able to spend, what is it, 25 million they're looking for? 
25 to 30 foot for Decore. I think he'd be a, a big amount of money for Crystal Palace. They, they don't really, I know under Pardew, they spend now on Benteke and look how that went. And I always thought Decore is a very similar player to Coyote, who's who's there. Both came on the scene a similar time in the Premier League um, and both that kind of box-to-box real energy. I think Decore has become more of an attacking player. He's often played in the number 10 role, hasn't he? He was always an eight box-to-box, but he, he can he can play a number of roles. No doubt for me that he would be a Crystal Palace player, a very, very Roy Hodgson Crystal Palace player and would fit the mould really well. I just don't know if they're going to spend that amount of money, especially after uh, COVID-19. I'm looking at the top end of the pitch. Um, they're another team in there with Aston Villa. I think will be shopping from the same kind of um, aisles and uh, and they'll be looking for a striker. I think they need youth. I agree with what you said. Aging, not just in midfield, the whole squad is aging. Um, I think Eze helps with that. And I think Hodgson, although he'll have a, a, a core of um know-how players I think he's going to need to start bringing through some young players um, and I think that they should give Ryan Brewster his first chance in the Premier League he's scored a lot of goals in the Championship on loan from uh, from Liverpool and, uh, and last season for Swansea uh, 10 goals in 20 games uh, a one in two man and I think he is looking good in pre-season he's looking for his chance in the Premier League and I think Palace is one of few clubs that might be able to give him that option. Yeah, I completely agree. I think I'm going to have to side with you on this one because aside from Jordan Ayew, who he, he, even then didn't get many goals, Palace do need to find someone who can put the ball in the back of the net. And whilst Akure would certainly solid up or already solid midfield, he's not going to add that much to their goal tally. So on that basis, I'm going to agree with you that I think Bruce is showing a lot of potential, did well for Swansea last season. Whether Liverpool are going to send him out again or whether they're going to include him in some capacity this season, I don't know. But I think in terms of giving him a Premier League opportunity, I think especially with the likes of Eze there, who can provide that creative spark behind him, then he could flourish there. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see whether it'd be on a loan or they could um, nab him for for a decent fee. However, I'll just go on to Everton quickly because the door's not completely shut on Abdullah Decore. I've got him as uh, as an option for Everton and and my my main option. I think they're looking for central midfielders, especially ones with energy that can carry the ball. Yeah, you know, please see above exactly all the things that Tom's just talked about and what Decore gives you. Uh, I think Everton need that. They've got Andre Gomez. Tom Davis, but with what Ancelotti wants to do there, and I say wants, and what Everton fans want, and what is realistic aren't always the same thing. But I think in terms of midfield, you know, they, they obviously lost Schneidlin not long ago. Delph isn't really doing it there on a regular basis, and Sigurdsson is a ten. So I think they need a box-to-box midfielder, and uh, and I think Decore would just be a simple signing because they've seen him do it in the Premier League. Absolutely, it would be a simple signing and one of those just like an easy, um, whilst maybe not exciting, he's just a, a signing that does make sense to go in that Everton midfield. I was, uh, I found it a bit difficult as to where I think Everton could improve. I thought that, initially I thought they they, they could get a striker, but obviously Richarlison seem, uh, seems to be uh, how Carlo Ancelotti wants to go forward with Calvert-Lewin up front. Um, and maybe in, a ter- in terms of an attacking influence, it sounds like they're going to get James Rodriguez on loan, which would be a real coup for them, a really good signing. Um, 
I've actually gone in the defence where they can possibly improve, and I've gone for if they could possibly get on to uh, Tarkovsky from Burnley. I feel that, you know, Everton's defence, alongside, you know, Keener's signed a long-term deal, Mina has always caught me as a little bit suspect in defence, and I think Tarkovsky, Everton would be able to persuade him to join purely because of the Carlo Ancelotti factor. You think in the long term, Ever- well, we always think that Everton, are, this is next year is going to be their year, they're going to finish high in the league, although it never happens. But I think that certainly the Carlo Ancelotti factor can maybe take Tarkovsky away, away from Burnley and join his project because I just think that Mina is a bit suspect at the back. Whether or not he would massively improve the Everton side, in that respect, is defence really an area that they need drastic improvement? I'm not too sure. And the more I think about the Decore transfer to them, the more I think that one makes far more sense. Tarkovsky is, is a fantastic player. And if they want a Premier League experienced defender to put in there, then he, he's obviously one of the top names. Interestingly, he was the replacement at Burnley for, for Keane, wasn't he, when, uh, when Keane went to Everton. So... Um, very similar types of players, strong, robust, and and have obviously done it uh, at that level for a while. Mina's a strange one, lots of injuries, um, left-sided. When he's in there, he's an absolute unit, but how often is he going to play? They did spend money on him. Ancelotti seems to like Holgate as well. So if they did get Tarkovsky, there'd be a couple of players there that might um, that might spark some interest from other clubs. But yeah, we're going with Decore on that one, seeing as you, um, we both agree that he's going to go to the Premier League this summer in some shape or form. I completely agree. I think Decore is a signing that just makes sense. And I think that the more we talk about him, the more you just think of how well he would he would fit in that Everton midfield with the players that they've already got. Let's now move on to the first of the new promoted sides in Fulham. They've come back after a year out. Last time they were up here, I thought it was their their defence was, was, was diabolical. 80 goals conceded. Since then, and I've heard it from you, I've heard it from other sources, that Scott Parker's managed to shore up that defence. They've now far more solid, I think. To be confirmed, I think, yeah. To be sure con- and solid in the Championship yeah. and in the Premier League, two different things. To be confirmed completely, and I think that, Although I'm not, my signing that I think they should make is not in the defensive side of things. I think actually it could be a play, a good place for Ryan Fraser to go. That's where yeah. I, you, you you've put him uh, to go to a different club. I've actually think I'm I'm actually thinking that Ryan Fraser would suit Fulham quite well. I think that he would use his pace. He can get down the side, and then of course he can whip in a delightful ball, which I think that Mitrovic would really revel in the uh, yeah. the creativity that Fraser could provide. And obviously, Ryan Fraser, when he decided to go on strike, he was hoping for the likes of maybe Arsenal, Tottenham to be his calling card. But I think he actually, he could really um, have a really good time at Fulham. And I think that they're going to want to play attackingly. They've already shored up their midfield with Lamina and Reed. They've got, so they're, they're solid through the middle if they can get the application out of those two players, certainly out of Lamina. But I think that Ryan Fraser... And Mitrovic could be a match made in heaven, really. I, I like I like that combination between those two. Um, what I would say, and I agree completely with you defensively, they need to be uh, in a better place than they were before. And I don't see too many different names to last time. When I see that March and Reem, uh, Mawson, they're all still there, and they all were absolutely exposed in the Premier League. 
What I'll also look at is that they do have, and in the championship, they did have some really creative players in almost a front four. They had the likes of Kamara, Caviero, Cabano and Knockhart out on the wings. And then Josh Onoma in a sort of number 10 in behind the likes of, of Mitrovic, who was the top scorer, 26 goals, and, and Bobby Reid. So they do have a lot of players up front and in the wide positions. problem is with Fulham, they kind of need to upgrade in a number of areas without doing what they did last time and, and, and buy about 15 of them. I've been a bit more reserved and looked at um, shoring them up defensively, but not, not with a defender, but with a holding midfielder because I think they've got Tom Kearney in there. Other than that, all they really have are McDonald and Johansson who, uh, and, and, and Seri who didn't really do anything last time. So I was, I was looking at that and thinking they need central midfielders they did go and get Reed, and they did go and get Lamina. Knowing them from Southampton, I don't know if that's going to make a massive difference. I mean, we know what Lamina can do, but he's been on loan for the last three seasons and no one seems to want him. So, but, you know, if, if he turns it on, he's an unbelievable signing for Fulham, but I just don't see it. And Reed has been loaned out from the Premier League to the Championship on a number of occasions, and I, I'm not sure if he's going to have a massive impact, especially permanent signing for a lone player. So I'm still going with the central midfielder. Um, and I've, and if, strangely enough, I had two of them, one very much like Reed and one very much like Lamina. I've got Billy Gilmore on a loan from Chelsea or Etienne Capou, who uh, was ranking really, really highly in the statistics for interceptions and tackles last season. I actually thought about him as maybe a bit of a left field choice for um, for Southampton as a replacement for Hoiberg, but thought actually he'd be a, he'd be a useful addition in, in Fulham colours um, as a player who is strong, can protect that back four, um, and has Premier League experience. So I think now that they've got Reed, they probably wouldn't get Gilmore. So I'd I'd put Etienne Capou forward for my um, for my choices defensively. I think. They do need better players in the Premier League. I think the, the the potential of Gilmore is incredibly high. I think that the fact that he's injured for possibly possibly the first third of next season would maybe rule him out. But I think that he will definitely have that loan move to a Premier League club before too long. The only reason I'm maybe a bit sceptical about Capu is I think that it may mean that. Fulham have too many of the same player and the same sort of midfield player. They've got Lamina, they've got Reed, they've got Kearney, and then you then if you maybe put in Kapoor as well, you've then I know it's all it's all good to have squad depth, but I think you then have three players, at least three players there, all of them are similar similar ability and similar traits. And then obviously Kapoor would come in and then it's a case of a bit a bit like Everton a couple of seasons ago when they bought nothing but the same paced attacking midfield players and yeah. It was almost just trying to oh, I'll put on an extra one and see if that does anything. I agree with you with the fact that they need to be... Sorry, come on. I thought you'd finish. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, I agree that they need to be shored up, maybe get get a solid signing. I just... I don't know. I'm just sceptical about getting a similar style of player for a, a, an area of the pitch that I personally think is already quite flooded with uh, with, with a similar player. No, I, I get that. And, and they played... Last season, they played four at the back two central midfielders and then Josh Onoma as a, as a number 10. However, I think they're going to change and they're going to play with three 
um, solid, not just offensive, but but energetic, competitive players in the midfield. So they might play with a Harrison Reed, Kearney, and a Lamina. After that, and Lamina doesn't always come good. After that, I don't think the likes of McDonald or Johansson are good enough for the Premier League. So a fourth player in Kapu, I think, probably would shore things up. However, I do like the idea of. of Fraser and Mitrovic and potentially Knockart on the other side, both similar players cutting in. Um, that would just mean for me that, that Fulham will be conceding goals and they'll be trying to stay up on the basis that they can create a lot for Mitrovic. I can see that we're sort of at a bit of an impasse as to who we want, who, who we think can improve. I'll give you Fraser. I'll give you Fraser. Give Fraser. Fraser. I do, do think they need another central midfielder because I think they're going to play with three combative midfielders mm-hmm. rather than they can't afford to play a number 10 in the Premier League. Let's go on to the next of the promoted side in Leeds and I feel that the type of player that they're going to be able to uh, be able to get is going to be of a, a different ilk and a different um, pedigree to that that Fulham can bring in. We've already seen the fact that they brought in um, Rodrigo from Spain. I would th- I would have thought that he, a, a striker is like an imperative signing that Leeds needed to make with just the fact really Bamford up front who already yeah. played in the Premier League in Middlesbrough and did pretty much nothing. I think that he also misses quite a few chances um, and uh, in the Premier League as good as Leeds can be on the ball in and around the penalty area, solid in defence. If you're not putting your chances away then even the lesser teams such as Palace, maybe uh, Aston Villa and Newcastle are still going to punish you with that one chance. That's what that, that's the difference in the Premier League as well as you as well as you can play uh, under Bielsa, it's all about taking your chances. I think for them, it, it's a different one, and I don't know whether they'd be able to persuade him to come. But I think if they were to sign Jordan Shakiri from Liverpool, I think there would actually be a superb signing for them because one thing they did last season, and we've seen it at, uh, at Saints especially, is they really, really struggle when teams are very compact against them and maybe have eight or nine players in and around the penalty area. Leeds really struggle. They can get up to the edge of the box at that point, but actually finding a way through, getting that chance away is something that they did generally struggle to do under Bielsa. And I think with Shakiri. If he can get him to play to his style, then obviously he can thread the ball through the eye of the needle. He can be the one to click that defence. And if he's got someone of the pedigree of Rodrigo up front, then again, it's it, it, it could be a match made in him for those two. Yeah, it's a really interesting one. I mean, they've got they've got good midfielders. They've got wingers. Uh, Hernandez will do well. Harrison, I think, on loan again will do very well. And they've got the likes of of Costa and Roberts. So. So maybe they could, and Shackleton, yeah, maybe they could do with another attacking midfield option. Like you said, not much up front. They've just got Rodrigo in, Bamford. Other than that, not too much. And they've got the likes of, like we've said, Hernandez and Harrison out wide. So maybe they could do with an extra, um, an extra option. You mentioned that they, um, that they've signed Rodrigo. Uh, Bielsa has also gone out and bought himself Cock, um, which is. Uh, which is it's, it's quite a, a statement. Um, so hopefully that's a big signing so, for them. That was um, yeah, that, that, that was that was a bit of an eye opener when they uh, when they put it on the back page. But um, yeah, yeah. So they've they've shored up centre backs. They needed to do so with, without Ben White. 
I've gone with mine's probably even more audacious than yours. Although, strangely, a similar idea because it's a midfielder. It's from the same club, and it's someone that they might be able to get towards. You know, who's playing a bit more reserve football, like Shakiri. Mine's more. He's more involved in the first team, but getting nearer the end of his career, and might want to return home. Um, James Milner, who uh, I think would be a fantastic signing for anyone. Uh, and outside the top six in the Premier League, uh, let alone a promoted side. But I just think they've got the edge leads in. Um, clearly, they're willing to spend. They're going to give it a really good go. So his, his wages shouldn't be a problem. But also started his career there. Um, and I could see him potentially ending his career there. So I think there might be an option for James Milner if he wants to um, get a few more games under his belt before he retires. So uh, James Milner to Leeds would, would be a typical kind of a Leeds signing you know what their fans would expect Leeds would be pretty much the only club that Milner would leave Liverpool for purely for the nostalgic reason otherwise I think it may be a bit unrealistic for a newly promoted side to come up and get one you know one of those players from the any from, from the champions and he's so versatile as well he can play across the, he can play left back right back also in the central of midfield even on the wing I think he'd be a superb signing for Leeds I think that maybe he provide a solidarity that I think a lot of and quite rightly so. I think Leeds fans are incredibly excited about their returning to the Premier League. They think they're going to do well. I think that they could do very well. Uh, but obviously, as much as you can be excited until you play the first game, you don't know if you're actually going to be ready for the Premier League. You don't know if you, you're going to be able to compete. So I think that he would definitely provide them with that solidarity uh, through the middle. The and experience. And the experience as well. And one thing, especially if Leeds were to find themselves in a relegation battle, one thing uh, that Shakiri won't do is, you know, roll his sleeves up and give them the goals to, to keep them up. He certainly didn't do that at Stoke. Whereas if they were to get the likes of James Milner, obviously he will throw, he'll put his life before the ball to to make sure that it doesn't go in the back of the net. So I'm going to give you Milner on this one purely because I think if, if they're doing, if Leeds are doing well, he's an incredibly experienced head and they'll be able to see out games and get crucial points. If they're not doing well, in a relegation fight, then who more do you want to be on the pitch, yeah. getting you the getting you through the ninety minutes, keeping your heads up, than a former player, someone who knows the club inside and out, someone who you know will die for the shirt. So yeah, I'm I'm, I'm yeah. going to give you Milner for that one. Yeah, no, he's he's a winner. Um, imagine having yeah, who better to learn from uh, for Calvin Phillips in his in his debut Premier League season. Um, they need players who know the Premier League. Um, he'd come in there, he'd lead them across the pitch, and I think he. I do think it's realistic. I, I, yeah, I mean, look what he did when when Liverpool were allowed that that week's holiday where they played was Everton in the FA Cup, and he turned up um, in the dugout, not playing, but just to uh, just to give the the young players a. Um, you know, a bit of a team talk. So, yeah, I think uh, I think he'd be absolutely perfect for Leeds. Going to Leicester City now. For me, the the fact that the departure of Ben Chilwell makes this quite an easy one for me. They need a fullback. They yeah. need someone to go at left back. I've gone for Jamal Lewis. I think he's an up and coming player. He did well for Norwich, considering how poor they were last season. He's been rumoured to be joining many clubs. A lot of teams interested in him. He's young. I think he fits Brendan Rodgers' style of play that he wants. Um, so Jamal Lewis, really easy one for me. Yeah, I like Jamal Lewis. Is again, it's difficult to tell, isn't it? Because I feel like I feel like there are a lot of Norwich players that could do well in the Premier League. Yeah, they were all in the same team with each other that just had such an awful Premier League season. Mentioned Todd well. Um, I've got one to mention later. 
you know, Pookie did well to start with. Just defensively, they were poor. Aaron's and Lewis were part of that, but again, he, he's young and going forward. I mean, Liverpool were interested, weren't they? I'm looking at left back as well because Chilwell has gone and they don't really have much cover there. They've got Fuchs, but they're looking to move on from him. Um, I've gone with uh, Nicholas Tagliafico from uh, from Ajax, who uh, has been linked with them and has been on their radar uh, ever since Chilwell looked like he might go to Chelsea. Um, and yeah, we saw we saw a bit of him when he when they got to the semi-finals and almost to the final of the Champions League uh, just over a year ago. And they're in Europe, and, and and they've got to be looking at players with some European experience. So um, yeah, we're both in in agreement that they need a left back. It's just whether they go for uh, a player tried and tested in Europe but has no Premier League experience, or they bring through a, a good young prospect who is English played in the Premier League, although didn't have a great season. It's just whether he's ready or not, because whoever comes in is going to be first choice left back. Yeah, absolutely. I think that Taglifico would be a better option for them. I just don't know if he is maybe a little bit unrealistic, considering how good a season he's had. Maybe bigger clubs might want to go in for him. I think sometimes you forget that Leicester still finished fifth in the Premier League, so they may have that new pulling power. For me, I think Lewis is far more... Uh, a far more realistic option and also young English. Um, I think he would suit Brendan Rodgers down to the ground. However, if they were be a- able to get Tagliafico, then obviously he goes straight in straight ahead of Lewis. For me, I just it's a case of realism for me. I don't know which. Yeah, Tagliafico... similar to the black, mm. black Pope scenario, wasn't it? And, and like you said, you forget that Leicester were this close to Champions League football and they, they are attracting you know you might have thought that someone like Tielemans wouldn't have gone to Leicester when they weren't even in the in the top six um, and and he did and I think they, they're, they're at a level now Leicester where they've gone up a level in terms of what they need to do in terms of recruitment they've got a really good foundation and if they're losing Chilwell they need to be bringing in someone that isn't going to slowly fill his boots but um, he's going to bring that quality um, and they're not going to miss him straight away. So, yeah, I think Tagliafico, if they can get him, I mean, and and it's not unlike Dutch teams to sell to Premier League teams a lot lower than Leicester. I'm going to give you Tagliafico purely because I think he's a quality player and if they are with their pulling power, if Leicester were be able to get him, then that's an absolutely quality signing. So I'll give that to you. We're now over the halfway point and actually now the team which I found the most difficult to pick because how do you improve the team that has just won the Premier League by over 20 points I just have no idea I am I've actually I've thrown a name they were linked to Saar from Watford yeah he's another attacking player it's, it's just difficult to think of that starting 11 and think just where they can improve the departure of Lovren means there may be a bit short in defence so I've put down Ibrahim Akanate the uh, the young French centre back for RB Leipzig. I think he's got pace on his side. He's an incredibly strong player as well, and he reads the game well. And I think he would be fantastic alongside Van Dijk. I know they've got Joe Gomez, uh, but it it never hurts to uh, to to have more than one great great option. But I found it really tricky. Yeah. I think it'd be a really good sign if they could get Alcantara from uh, Bayern in the central midfield. I think if they manage to get him, they're linked with. That'd be great. Uh, Liverpool just need strength and depth because you know the amount of times you see Mane goes and they have to bring out Rigi or they they lose um, 
yeah, they, they've just brought in the Greek bloke from from left back because they've got only youngsters there. They lose a centre, lose Van Dijk. They've got Matip and Gomez, which isn't really good enough. So, um, I've strangely enough, I've gone uh, centre back and I've gone RB Leipzig, but I've gone for the main man at the back. And I know. Uh, I believe he signed a new deal recently, but Meccano is is a player that is going to leave Leipzig, and it's just a matter of, of how much money you have to spend to get him in. I think if you you get him, a uh, young sought after European player at centre back uh, alongside Van Dijk with Gomez in and around as well, I think suddenly they become really really strong. There. So we can both agree that they should be looking at centre backs from RB Leipzig, both French. <laughs> we agree that Meccano is a better player. Mm. Right, we do. I, I, I do agree. It's just realism, I suppose. Yeah. Because uh, didn't he just sign a five-year contract? He did. Yeah. So I don't know a lot about Canate. I must say, Afmakano is the one who's taking all the all the headlines. Okay, so we know his Liverpool experience with centre backs that contracts aren't worth the paper that they're written on. So you know, would they be able to <laughs> sign Afmakano anyway? Uh, remains still bitter. <laughs> still bitter. No resentment there whatsoever. If they can get up Meccano, then I'll hand that over to you purely because I think he is the better player. However, in terms of realism, I think Canat is the contract is that is that stumbling block of whether after you know a month after signing a new deal, whether they can persuade him to to cut himself out. Like of that. you said, like you said, it just means uh, suddenly that they have to spend more money, which might be off-putting for them. But what we're saying is up Meccano, and if they can't get in, they'll go for his mate. Right. Um, City, uh, same position, Koulibaly, he may even have been my pick for them last season. Um, they could have done with them last season because I think they would have pushed Liverpool to the end because that's pretty much all they're missing is a centre-back. So Koulibaly needs to come to the Premier League and Man City are the ones that need to sign him, I think. Put him alongside Laporte, never replace company, did they? No, they didn't. I agree with Koulibaly. I think he's a fantastic player. And I think, obviously, centre-back is a place that Manchester City need to need to improve. But he's not the player that I've put down. The player that I've put... gone with the big man. I've gone with the big man. I've gone for Lionel. I've gone for the, the little Argentinian wizard. I've gone for Messi. Purely on a personal level, I wanted to see him in the Premier League. Manchester City is the most realistic place that he is going to go. Messi in the Premier League would be absolutely superb. Man City can arguably they can afford him, and I just feel that I, I just want him to. I just want to see him in the league. I'd love to see him try and work his way through Sean Dyche's men at Turf Moor on a really blustery, wintry evening. And I'm sure he'd make really a really easy uh, go at it. And probably we all think, oh yeah, it's a really tough night. He's uh, he's going to struggle, and then he just dances through. And uh, Ben Mee is left in a tangle on the floor as he just goes past. No, if, if if City can get Messi, I don't care that he's, what, 32, 33, get him. Get him and, you know, this is the best chance we will have of having Messi in the Premier League. Even if he may be past his prime, just get him. Just get yeah, him. I agree with you. Messi is unbelievable. We have to see him in the Premier League. I never thought we'd have the opportunity. It seems to be here now. We're not going to go through. This is a, 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 an episode about Messi, but essentially Barcelona needs to stop being dicks. There's, there's clearly a clause in his contract which says, says in May that he gets the opportunity to leave on a free. The only reason he hasn't done it in May is because the season didn't finish in May. So they're just trying to push him on a technicality and try and keep him. All that's going to happen is they'll keep him there till May and then he'll leave. So Koeman's come in, he's throwing his weight around a bit. In Barcelona and the Liga, I don't know if the Liga even have a say, they seem to be piping up, but they just need to stop being dicks and just say, look, 
what you've done for us is unbelievable. The agreement of May is clearly because at the end of the season, you have an option to leave for free. The season ended and he um, faxed them, apparently, the, uh, exactly that. So, yeah, he's not turning up for training. He's not turning up for testing. But I think it's going to go to court. But Messi in the Premier League now, before he gets too old, yeah, all these people saying that Messi's not, he's, he's passed it. And, you know, I wouldn't have Messi in the Premier League. Oh, what absolute bollocks. If you think Messi isn't good enough and you, you would not want to see him in the Premier League for your team, you are deluded. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to give you Messi. I mean, although, clearly, in terms of positioning, Koulibaly is a, is a player they need and centre-back is obviously the position they need, not wingers or number 10s or forwards or whatever the hell you want to call Messi. But it doesn't matter if Messi's good. Messi will get here and will score more goals than anyone else because that's just what he does. So, yeah, Messi under Pep is, is, is an absolute match made in heaven and that's just a... It's a fantasy signing for the Premier League that all of a sudden we can actually put in this transfer episode and say, yeah, why not Messi? Last season, it would have been laughed at. (laughs) This season, it's a real possibility. Right, we don't want to make it all about Messi. Let's go on to their Manchester rival. Ran ran over. Ran over. Yeah, Callum, very much. No no fence-sitting on this podcast there from Callum Wilson. So let's move over to their Manchester rivals, Manchester United. It'd be really easy for me to say Jadon Sancho, but it's not an area of the pitch. I think that they need to improve with the options they have. I think in defence is where they need to improve. Yes, they ended the season well under Maguire and Lindelof, but uh, we know what's happened in in the press over that. We don't we, we won't really comment on it, but I think that they can still improve there. Um, and I think they, uh, a good signing for them would be Screenoff from Inter Milan. I think that he's young, he's good, he's a really solid defender. Um, he had a lot of hype about him as well. And I think he would slot perfectly as a really big, robust defender to have. They can also play the ball out on, on the deck as well, which I think that Man United really need at the moment. Because whilst Maguire is good in the air, I think that he can get a bit caught when the ball is at his feet. What nationality is he? I think it's Slo- I, don't I think it's Slovakian. It's Slovakian or Slovenian. Yeah, I thought it was something like that, one of those. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I get that. In your opinion, is he a better player than... Lindelof or Bailly were when Manchester United signed them. So Bailly at, at Villarreal and uh, and Benfica's Lindelof. When they signed those players, do you think uh, do you think this lad is actually better now than they were when when they were purchased? I think so. I think I, okay. uh, that, that that's that's purely what I think because I think I was surprised when they did get Lindelof. I didn't think that at the time he was a, a coup, like a massive signing that someone's going to come in the defence and suddenly be this titanic giant that's going to. Uh, really sort out those defensive issues. And it showed in the Premier League that he has been caught a few times. And, um, you know, for Manchester United, they're they're really quite top-heavy at the moment. They've got a lot of really good attacking options. And But if they can just improve their defence, then I think they're pretty much sorted for another crack at the top four next season. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. I just just wonder if, yeah, do they keep trying to buy a foreign centre-back? And is he just going to be another... Or Lindelof, you know, are, are good players in their own rights, but just we're still looking to replace them already. Um, for me, same as last year, just buy Wilfred and Didi from Leicester. You know, you, you, all they've got is Matic. They don't have another holding midfielder. McTominay is not a holding midfielder. Fred is not a holding midfielder. You know, their legs. Pereira is not a holding midfielder. Um, they're all just playing there because they have no one else who can. Matic is the only one, and he's old. 
he's not going to be playing every single game. And indeed, he, you know, most tackles in the Premier League last season, or every season they plays, you know, joint last season, 129 tackles, joint with wan So suddenly you've got the two best tacklers in the league playing for a team that are set up with pace and a counter-attack up front. I think Ndidi, with his ability to win the ball in his own half, he'd get the ball, give it to the likes of Pogba's or, uh, or Fernandez, and suddenly that transition, that quick transition from defending to attacking, I think so many attacks, so many goals would start with someone like Ndidi. I just, yeah, I'd, I'd break the bank. I think he's the best holding midfielder in the league. I think Fernandinho doesn't play there anymore. He probably was. Um, I just rate him so highly. He needs to be playing at top level. So um, yeah, and Didi is uh, is my is my pick for United. Did you find out if he was Slovakian or Slovenian? By the way, he's Slovakian. Just had a quick, you know, mosey on Wikipedia. The uh, the font of all knowledge. I'm I'm going to give you Ndidi because it just makes sense. You know, do they try and get another defender? Whereas Ndidi knows the league like the back of his hand. He's a quality player, and to have him and Matic in the middle of the park breaking up play and he's he's got a good passing range on him as well and the quality that Man United have got going through going forward they're going to add Van de Beek to it as well so you know he's a, he's a Matic replacement for me I don't think he'll play both of them he might against big teams might against Liverpool might against cities but generally I mean Matic's a good player and he was great five six years ago he's just not he's just aging now and they need to, to replace him Right, let's talk about Newcastle. No Mbappe's links anymore. No uh, Saudi takeovers. So are we looking back at the same old, same old? Instead, they're signing... Who would have thought you know, three months ago that we'd be talking about them getting a decent deal for Rob Holding? That seems to be happening. Newcastle back down with a bump. Yes, very much back down with a bump. Of course, the... Uh... The swagger and the silky skills of Jeff Hendrick, you know, from the uh, the very sunny, sunny uh, Burnley coast coming in. Yeah, and provide... soul. That's, uh... <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, for me, it's a, it's a completely di- Rob Holding um, in defence. But for me, Newcastle, they need to have someone to put it in the back of the damn net. I mean, last season yeah. it was just atrocious. They they spent over forty million on a striker who, I mean, we both both you and I predicted him to be shocking, and he was. He was absolutely dreadful. Yay! First season didn't adapt. Maybe next season he will score a couple more, but even then that'll put him up to like five or six, which is just not what you need from a forty million pound outlay. So obviously I've picked a striker for them, but then obviously I've had to think about what is their budget for and the signing of Jeff Hendrick on a free whilst, you know, it could be turned out to be a good one. Uh, it doesn't scream that they actually have the funds to make uh, a, a big money signing uh, at, at, at the front. So I've gone for Timu Puki purely because he's got 11 goals for a struggling Norwich side last season. And you've got Richie and Sam Maxima and Almiron. He's a really good finisher in the box. If those players can just get the ball into the box, we know that he can, put the ball away and I found last season especially with Norwich as the season went on he was coming much deeper when really he flourishes when he is at the, the he is the focal point of the attack I think that Newcastle could make him that and he's got he's got that year of experience now he did when he finds form you know everything he touches went into the back of the net and I think that what Newcastle can afford and a realistic signing for them I think that Puki could you know he could be a really good signing on uh, on time side I don't know where I sit on the Pookie scale, because 
It was phenomenal in the championship. Then he started like a house on fire last season, and then after about six or seven games, he just seemed like with Norwich to just to just disappear. Um, he's not. How old is Pookie? I get the feeling Pookie's like just deceptively younger than he looks. Okay. Um, Thirty. So so yeah. I mean, he's 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 on the he's on the wrong side then of of, of thirty. It's funny you mentioned Joe Linton. I mean, I don't think they're gonna. They're going to panic and replace him because they spent forty million on him, and they aren't getting forty million from him. So they either need to cut their losses and try and sell him abroad. Hopes Germany will, will come in, the German team will come in for him and pay him half of that, or they persist and, like you said, say it's it's a first season. So, and I think you know Bruce, having been there when he came in, I think he's going to want to give him a go. So I think they're going to try and bring in creativity. Now, I think Richie sounds like he's going to go to Bournemouth. They're, they're in for him. So it's a, a place out on the wing. And I think, is there a chance that Newcastle could bring back that kind of entertainer's vibe again? You know, not at the same level, challenging for the title. But they've got Sam Maximan, who's a brilliant player on the one wing. Um, and I wonder if they went and tried to get side Ben Rama from Brentford and put him on the other wing whether suddenly there'd be more opportunities for the likes of um, the likes of Joe Linton with, with Almeron behind him who's starting to get goals. Um, and all of a sudden you've got two players out wide who are creative showmen. It's just whether or not Ben Rama could do it in the Premier League. And I, I think he's going to get a chance to. It's just whether, it's just where. Yeah, I think he'll definitely be part of the Premier League next season. I just don't think that Newcastle is the place that he'll go. He just doesn't, he doesn't seem to me like a Newcastle signing at the moment. And I just don't know whether they will have that. I mean, they're a massive club, don't get me wrong, but will they have that kind of appeal? They're not being bought by, uh, they're not being invested in by by the Saudis. Their, you know, their their aspirations of suddenly... What sort of team do you think he'd be going to then? Because, I mean, Newcastle are a sleeping giant, aren't they? They are. They are. No, yeah, I... who, who's bigger than Newcastle that, that would take Ben Rama, do you think? Like an Everton? Or... Maybe, maybe in Everton. I know they've only been promoted, but Leeds, I think Leicester could be another place that he could go. I, I don't know. I just... I just I do you think, think... Do you think Leeds is a bigger pull for Ben Rama than Newcastle? I'm, I, it's, a, it, it's controversial, but I'd go with yeah, because I think that new Leeds' aspirations in the Premier League currently could be higher than those of Newcastle. Don't get me wrong, Newcastle are a huge club, but at the moment, the atmosphere around there seems to be a bit of keeping head above water and just staying in the league for the time being. They're obviously incredibly deflated by the fact that you know they, they were all hyped up to be thinking about a push for Europe, signing some of these fantastic players, thinking, right, we've, we've, we're actually going to start doing something with the size of the club that we are. But now, it, you know, they're milling around signing Jeff Hendrick. And it's a case yeah. of next season just staying, uh, just surviving again. I think that last season they really, you know, they overachieved with the squad that they've got. It's maybe a top-end championship side. Um, Almiron, take Almiron out of that side and it is quite, uh, and Sam Maximan, two players, and then you're looking at a team that struggles for goals, have a really sort of average or maybe below average level of player. And I'm not having a massive go at Newcastle here. I just don't think that they're actually that good a side. And I think at the moment, the atmosphere around Leeds is they're coming into the league and they want to do something with that position. They don't want to flounder. They want to achieve as much as possible. And I think that they're a far more exciting prospect 
than a Newcastle side who could quite possibly be in a relegation battle uh, for the next couple of seasons. I think there's a, ch- a good chance that Leeds could finish above Newcastle. I've just got the idea in my mind of, um, of Full St James's and Steve Bruce clearly very well coached at the back and in midfield and just having two really creative sparks and that kind of entertainer's vibe where it used to be towards the end of the 90s under Keegan, just obviously at, at, a, at a lesser level um, with Ben Rama and Sam Maximan on either side. However, what that doesn't give you is uh, much cover uh, for the fullbacks. So you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to be a fullback at, uh, at St James's with those two on the wing. So uh, with them in need of goals and Joe Linton not being the man to give them goals at the moment, based on last season, I will give you Timu Puki. But Leeds are a bigger pull than Newcastle, quote Tom Murray. What do, what do Leeds fans yeah, and Newcastle fans more importantly think of that? Yeah. Right. Anyway, talking of European football, one team that just missed out after a colossal attempt last season, Sheffield United. Sheffield United are a strange one. They, they seem to be light suddenly. I don't know if they've lost a lot of players, but looking at their squad, they seem to be light again. They've got, they've got a decent amount of centre-backs. They've got back up at left wing back they don't have right wing back um, and they might even be a little bit light in central midfield but I've gone with Matty Cash from Nottingham Forest who I think is, is made to play the wing back role um, and in the Premier League a bit of competition for places with Bulldog I think uh, that's where Sheffield United should be looking they're all central midfield and I know what you're thinking as well they, they, they don't score goals um, which is, is probably the end where you're looking I think Matty Cash is going to end up in the Premier League for next season. Uh, just depends on where. I think that he, you know, he's a, he's a player that both you and I were really hoping would come to St Mary's for Southampton because he is a quality fullback, and you just feel that the Premier League is made for him. I, you got the nail on the head. I'm thinking the fact that they've got a lack of goals. Ollie McBurney, their top scorer, only seven or eight goals. And uh, aside from that, they're not. They don't have any player, any other player that really hits the back of the net regularly. Moussa, you know, he's not really. Uh, although he has got goals, he's not actually well liked by the fans that much purely because of his work rate. But I think that a signing that would be realistic for Sheffield United uh, would maybe to bring in the likes of Chris Wood from Burnley. I think he would suit the the Sheffield United model. A really good, solid striker experienced, incredibly experienced in the Premier League. I think he would fit the system quite well because they play a very solid, rugged, not a lot of flair, but it's a really good, like again, like Burnley, getting it from A to B. And I think that he would thrive with them. He certainly got the experience of playing in that sim- in a similar style uh, because he's been at Burnley for so long. And, uh, um, you know, he hit over, over 10 Premier League goals last season. I think he got 14, which is a fantastic return. But I feel that Burnley especially, they're now going to rely more on Jay Rodriguez. Sheffield United, it's all about what they can do this season. I don't think they're going to finish as high. I don't think they're going to finish anywhere near as high as they did last season. But that doesn't mean um, that they they certainly can't give it a good go. I think if they, they're so solid at the back and in midfield, I just feel if they can add a few more goals to their game, then, you know, they, they can trouble sides again. I don't think they'll finish anywhere near as high as last season. The preview to our, uh, to our Premier League predictor coming up next week. Oh, Chris Wood's a strange one, because, I mean, is it not a bit of a sideways move from Burnley to Sheffield United? I, I was surprised when he was linked with Saints, because he is, him and Rodriguez are the first choice front two. They play two up front. 
They've got Vidra, who doesn't really play, and they've got Ashley Barnes, who's kind of been replaced by Rodriguez, top scorer for Burnley every season. Um, if he were to leave, would he leave just to go over to Sheffield United? And, you know, I think you're right, he's absolutely suited to them, like perfectly. He'd be a very good sign-in for Sheffield United. I just don't know why he would go from Burnley to Sheffield United. It's like, it's literally replicas of, of each other, aren't they? Um, in terms of, you know, their their ways of playing, different formations, but just, yeah, just, just solid, defensive, big man up front, scores goals, Premier League, Chris Wood, perfect. Um, but, you know, wasn't it John Fleck and Moussa, their, their joint top scorers last season, like you know, going into, you know, into lockdown? Yeah, yeah, they do need goals and Chris Wood would be great. I just get the sideways move. Why would Burnley let him go? Unless it's for loads of money, which I don't think Sheffield United would pay. I don't know why they would let him go. I just think he he suits Sheffield United down to the ground, um, as we've already discussed. But and I think he, I think he'd probably only leave Burnley unless they had a a fantastic replacement to bring in because you know fourteen Premier League goals in a season is difficult to replace. You know straight off the bat, and especially playing in a style that Burnley do, it's going to be it's going to be tricky to find someone that's going to go fit in straight away. So I think I'll probably side with you on Matty Cash on Matty Cash. I do think that Sheffield United really, really need goals. They need certainly need more goals if they're gonna make have a good crack at next season. But um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, I wanna give you Chris Wood because Matty Cash doesn't straight away he doesn't get in ahead of Bulldog and he's back up for a right wing back, which is boring. Whereas um your call for she- for for Sheffield United to get Chris Wood I think is like he like that would be a perfect signing for them so if they can go and get it then great suddenly they've got goals and I think he'd have a much bigger impact Matty Cash they have two really good right wing backs and they don't play with wingers so literally one of them would be playing and one wouldn't so yeah Chris Wood they need goals I think he'd have a bigger impact to to be honest with you Saints then like I mentioned earlier I was looking at a replacement for Hoiberg I was looking at who gives you what he gives you which is interceptions and tackles start attacking moves to my surprise Kapoor was the one that was coming up with 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 really high returns on both of those in the Premier League um, however I really like the idea of bringing in someone who can do that further up the pitch and can give Armstrong a bit of competition in that kind of inside right midfield position that wide number 10 that Arsenal still likes to play we've got loads of wingers on one side and then we've only got Armstrong that can really play that position. And uh, we're having to bring in Will Smallbone, who's an inexperienced central midfielder. So um, I think Saints should try and bring in uh, Buendia from Norwich. Um, again, another player for Norwich who is Premier League quality. He was excellent in the championship. And if he was in any other side apart from Norwich last season, I'm convinced he would have had a, had a, had a good season. What's, what might surprise you is that he was 13th in the Premier League for the amount of tackles made last season. In a player for a player that plays in an attacking right midfield role uh, for a poor Norwich team, so um, he made 82 tackles, and that screams to me uh, Southampton player who can win the ball high up the pitch. Um, and I'd really like to see him at St Mary's. But if you've got an idea for a, for a central midfielder that can give us uh, a bit of competition with Hoiberg's departure, then um, the floor is yours, Mr Murray. I love the idea of Buendia, actually. He's a 
he's a cracking player. And from what I saw of him against Norwich, he was that creative spark. And also with the amount of tackles, then he would really suit a high pressing, uh, high pressing system. So I can definitely get on the Buendia train. My choice is, of course, the replacement of Hoivier. I haven't gone with Incham because it's boring. <laughs> but his name has only come up in the last couple of days. And I had a bit of digging just to see exactly what he was like. And is it the Alkmaar lad? It is. It's Tinu Koopminers, who I've done some reading into him. I've watched what I can of him. And my word, I don't think I've ever seen a player more suited to us and suited to Hasenhutl that I, in fact, think that Saints should go all out on whatever money they have left on transfers to get this lad. 22. Tell me about him then. What does he do? 22. Captain of his side. Takes a mean free kick. Saints don't need that, but it always helps, especially if Ward Prowse somehow doesn't play every single minute next season. He is more defensive than Hoybier in terms of he wouldn't... Ward Prowse would have to be the more creative of the two of the holding midfielders in the middle. However, his passing range actually goes beyond him rather than backwards or to his side and the composure he has on the ball is absolutely frightening I remember in the first season in the Premier League the Hollywood ball maestro Danny Fox would try and play it from left back all the way over diagonally to the right side of the pitch and he'd try it about 10 times and maybe once would it go five yards in in the space of five Wesley Hoot to me Wesley Hoot yeah long ball motion from what I've seen of it, this guy, he, he he can play. He can thread through balls from a defensive. He's, he's almost like a creative defensive midfielder. His passing range is sublime. And I think that a lot. he has incredible tenacity and energy in the middle. He can win the ball back. He can take it forward. He can have composure. But he also has that um, defensive solidarity at the back to really protect that back four. I think he's the kind of player who, after a season in the Premier League, if he managed to find his footing and show the quality that he undoubtedly has, we could be looking at maybe a £50 million transfer to one of the bigger clubs very quickly. You are really hyped up on that YouTube video, aren't you? <laughs> well, you know, I thought that Steve Derrida was going to be like Ronaldo after watching that. So, who, you know, watch this space. Lamina's video, he looks like a world beater. Especially when one of the clips is actually Redmond. Say again? One of the clips in Lamina's video is actually Redmond and not him. <laughs> um, so is he, is he a lefty or a righty then? He's more of a right-footed player. Um, but I think he, from what I've seen, his passing range, he's good. He's, he's good with both feet. I think he'd be fantastic in the middle. I think it may be outside of the realms of realism for Saints to get him, just purely because I think he's that good. But... Um, if, if, Alkmaar, you know, like we said earlier, Tagliafico, you, you can... You can Signed Dutch players, uh, players from the Dutch league, sorry, um, in, in the Premier League for, for decent money. And Saints have done it with the likes of Pella, Tadic before, Classy. So they've got previous. Um, and if he's as good as you seem to think he is, then, then you know, why the hell not? As a replacement for Hoybio, we need a replacement in there. We haven't got the numbers uh, really in terms of players who play in that special opposition. We just lost Lamina and, and Reed, albeit on loan last year. So, um, yeah, I'm happy to give you that one. It's almost in the lazy analogy because in many ways it doesn't really make much sense apart from being a player who sprays the ball from deep but kind of plays that quarterback role albeit a quarterback doesn't really provide any defensive cover. So is, is that how you just kind of describe him in that kind of 
almost PLO role, like sitting sure. deep and just pinging the ball about. Breaking up the play. Now, he does take penalties, but um, this is a guy from holding midfield who scored 16 goals last season. Okay. We'll, we'll have him then, shall we? We'll have him. Um, Spurs. Him and Bandia would be lovely there. Um, Spurs, right. Yeah, you go first on Spurs. Spurs was quite a difficult one for me because I think they're quite strapped to cash at the moment. They're trying to sort of wheel and deal as much as possible. If money were no object for them, I'd love them to see that get see them get Marcel Sabitzer from RB Leipzig. I think that yeah, they got the Celso, but apart from him and Ali, you think of which players can actually thread a through ball. They're kind of lacking, and especially in the midfield, if they're going to get the likes of Winks and Dombele, they've got Hoybier. It's quite a sideways midfield. Um, it's a Soko. Okay. It's okay. Yeah. It's all. It's all a sideways midfield. They need someone who can really. I mean, Ali is great, but I think he. I don't. I, I think Sabitzer is a level above, and I think if they would be able to get him cut in from the right hand side, mean left foot as well. I think. Yeah, I think he'd be. He'd be quality. I think he. He's what they're. What they're missing. I know they've got Lucas as well. They've got Son. You know, you had Sabitzer. Yeah, they got Bergwijn as well. If they're becoming incredibly top-heavy, but I think that um, Sabitzer would not be a case of uh, too many chefs spoil the broth. Yeah, they got the Salso in, um, but he plays a lot deeper than Ericsson. They're really, you're really looking for someone who's going to replace what he gave you. Uh, Lamella's had enough chances; he's, he's just not good enough. So um, yeah, there aren't many places that they uh, they need to strengthen uh, Spurs, uh, but. Yeah, potentially an attacking midfielder if Deli Ali doesn't turn up this year. I've gone with a bit more of a boring one. As you said, not a lot of money to be spending. But once again, Harry Kane is the only striker they've got. And then yeah, they might put Son up there, they might put Lucas Mora. Or they could go down to Bournemouth in the Championship and get my namesake, Callum Wilson, who uh, will add to the English quota, which they're obviously looking at, having bought Joe Hart. Um, and he also gives them a different type of player. And also, if they're looking for goals, why not put them up there with Harry Kane as a, as, as a couple of potent strikers, but one that plays with his back to goal and one, more, one that plays off the shoulder. So, um, yeah, Callum Wilson as, a, as more of a squad player, but to give them that strength and depth that I think they need, especially up front. Yeah, I agree. I think that Callum Wilson would be a great signing for, for Spurs because, of obviously, you know, Kane goes... Uh, gets Kane gets injured, then it's a case of who they actually got up front. And I think it was a case last season where their only option to go up front was uh, Troy Parrott, and even he wasn't ending up up front. So, and I think they put a midfield. I think they put Lucas up front instead. Um, so yeah, they're kind of uh, they're kind of missing that strength and depth. So I think that Cam Wilson is is far more realistic a signing. I, I'll give you that one purely because I've actually got him joining the next club down. I'd have him at West Brom, which is a bit of a step down from Spurs, but. <laughs> I think that West Brom, really, they're going to struggle to not finish in the bottom two, if I'm being completely honest. But if they can get someone in like Callum Wilson, who can score goals in the Premier League, then they can certainly pick up points when maybe they wouldn't expect to. Whether Wilson would actually join them and see them as a long-term vision in the Premier League, I don't know. I think he may want to go to a, a, a better club, certainly a, a bigger club with a better chance of staying in the Premier League. But at the end of the day, Wilson, he could go there, get some goals, and if they do get relegated, it's another season of him scoring in the Premier League and then maybe getting a move to another club um, because West Brom don't want to be relying on the greatest finisher in the world, Charlie Austin, when it comes down to it. Yeah, and so and so ends the uh, the last of the clubs that I think are all shopping in the same market for that kind of budget striker. You've got, you've got West Brom, you've got Newcastle, uh, you've got Crystal Palace, 
and you've got Villa. I think um, I think Camus would probably would set his sights a bit higher and be looking maybe at an Aston Villa or a Newcastle um, rather than a West Brom. But again, it's almost a case of having three or four strikers and trying to figure out which team they fit with out of, out of those sort of four teams, if you know what I mean. You know, you could see Watkins uh, and you could see Wilson, for instance, playing for any of those four sides. Um, I've gone with another player and only because I couldn't, he's never going to, never going to go to Aston Villa, but it is local for him and he would be a decent fit, I think, for West Brom. Um, and that's Troy Deeney, uh, Watford captain, relegated I think he'd want to stay in the Premier League. I don't think there'd be many teams in for him. Um, he's getting on, but West Brom, spoiler, ahead of our predictor next week, I don't think they're going to survive. Um, I had a look through their squad. They really need, an, uh, not an overhaul, but they, they need a, a good five or six decent players to make them look competitive, in my opinion. Stranger things have happened. See Sheffield United last season. But, uh, yeah, Troy Deeney, I think, would be a, a decent signing for a Slavin Village side. The big man up front, the talisman, the, the man who uh, who can bring the ball down, hold it up, and everyone can work off of him. Um, I think he would be a, a decent signing. And the fact that we've already sent Callum Wilson to Spurs, I guess, suggests that Deeney will be our pick on this one. What yeah. do you think about him if you went to West Brom? I, I like him going to West Brom. I like the idea because I think that, you know, he is the different, obviously different circumstances of James Milner, but someone in a relegation fight, he will roll his sleeves up and he will drag them over the line in games. He can provide them and he will, you know, he'll whip them up maybe more than Callum Wilson didn't really do that at Bournemouth in the relegation, in the relegation scrap. He didn't provide the goals when it was really needed. Troy Deeney, yeah. Heart on his sleeve. He says what he thinks. He certainly will. He'll um, people with him, money. And his, he's a Midlands man as well. So, yeah. um, you know, it's not the same mm. a Birmingham, a blue nose going to Villa as it would be going to West Brom. So um, let's go with that then. Who got for West Ham then? Are they going to sign the next the next big thing who's, who's not good enough for FC Porto and they're going to score two goals all season or, or what, what are they going to do? Actually, when I decided the player for West Ham, he's already in the press, but I just thought, yeah, it's going to be him purely because it is the most West Ham signing you could think of, but I think he could add a bit of quality. They keep on getting these attacking midfielders and none of them seems to click. They've got Anderson, they've got Fornals, whether he's going to do anything. They've got Lanzini, whether he's actually going to be a part of the team. Then you've got the likes of Snodgrass. It's a case of... I'm just going to add another one to it and then go go out and get Mario Goetz. Uh, then for him to sit on... Then then for him, you know, sign him on a free, have him sit on the injury table for half the season. I don't necessarily think they should sign him, but I think I was looking at it and I'm looking at the room and I'm thinking, you cannot get a more West Ham signing than that. Someone who's well past their prime, someone who is probably, you know, a big name that... They they're thinking oh he's he's probably he was good on Football Manager a couple of seasons ago so let's get him and uh, they'll bring him in he'll really underwhelm but I think they should sign him purely because that would just be West Ham all over better than anything they've signed before though wouldn't he yeah I mean you know World Cup winning goal scorer I know he's been yeah Dortmund and Bayern and really hasn't played much football but if he does if they get him fit. Yeah, he'd be some player, wouldn't he? And surely too good for for West Ham. I could see him having a good season at a club, and then suddenly being in 
being up with the big boys again. Um, I've gone with what I think is a bit of a West Ham signing. And I noticed that he was available on a free, which would draw my attention to him. But uh, Ezekiel Garay, who uh, who's left Valencia, once touted to be going to Man United, next big thing, big Argentinian centre-back, doesn't really seem to have gone anywhere and um, and is now available on a free transfer, having left Valencia. And uh, I think they need shoring up at the back. I mean, without Fabianski, they would have been down. They do have, like Everton did a couple of seasons back, a plethora of crap attacking midfielders. So they need to get rid of some of them or try them again rather than bringing in more. The money that they'd spend on wages for Kurz <laughs> would be so West Ham. Um, for him to be a flop but yeah I'm going for another player who hasn't made it at a higher better club so they're kind of cherry picking you know it'd be another one actually soft soft ahead look Jesse Lingard wouldn't that be a typical West Ham really you know that kind of thing so um, yeah Ezekiel Garay, um once considered to be like a world class defender Moyes is a defensive man. Yeah, maybe they'll go and get him on a freebie. Be a good bit of business. Don't know what he's doing these days. Don't know what he looks like. Yeah, compared to when he was uh, touted to be the next signing for Man United. Um, actually, that, I don't know if that was when Moyes was there. You know, but yeah, I could see maybe. I get, he probably won't go there, but he's a freebie. So someone's got to have him. He'll probably just get taken up by someone else in, in like France or Italy or something. But. Screen yeah, AS um, Monaco. So who, who are we going to go for, Goetze or Garay? The Battle of the G's. Oh, I couldn't give a shit, really. Um, <laughs> I think we've treated West Ham with, with just an a, a air of sarcasm here. So with that respect, uh, why not why not send Mario Goetze to West Ham? Um, aside, complete opposite to West Ham, well-oiled machine, everything seems to go right for them. They, they lose a player, they bring in a player that's that's better. Um, last season, I incorrectly thought that they would struggle with the Europa League, but in terms of fitness and injury records, they managed to keep that kind of small squad running on all cylinders for a long time. You know, it was a year, wasn't it, they had for a season, Wolves. Um, they've lost Doherty and they need a right wing-back. And actually, their, their main left wing-back Johnny is out injured, Johnny Otto now for a long time. So they've got Vanagra who might be able to fill in there. They've got no one right wing back. So um, I've gone with, uh, you have to forgive the pronunciation, I'm not sure. Joachim Amila from Genk. Um, he's he's a player you might not be familiar with, but I've seen him linked with Premier League moves before. Um, he's a right wing back and he's, he's a right wing back who's very much in the emphasis of getting forward. And in a in a three four three, that's exactly what Wolves need. Um, exactly what Doherty uh, gave them, and I think he's um, I think he's a, a really good fit for them. A good young up and coming player who's uh, he's at Genk, um, and I mean he's he's ready to go. So uh, yeah, I'd go with I'd go with him. Milo, obviously, uh, he was he was linked to Saints. He's a quality player. I'm, I've gone in the same area of the pitch. They do need to. They're really light on the fullback situation. Although I, my one is on the other side in hopes that maybe Vinagre could go on the, uh, they could get someone in on the right. But I think that Alex Grimaldo from Benfica would be a really good signing for them and a realistic signing for Wolves considering the connections that they have to the Portuguese football, footballing world. Um, yeah. Really highly rated left back. He's 24 years old. 
He uh, did play safe. He came through the Barcelona youth system. He's been first choice really for Benfica and it's a case of whether Wolves even though they don't have European football would be able to get him over I think he'd be really suited to their style of play he's really quite pacey he can whip in a mean delivery and you know the, the way that Wolves play they want their fullbacks to overlap get down that left and right side and I think that it's a case the choice here is a case of which side do they need to improve the most I think I'd have to side with you purely because you know without Doherty they are now threadbare on the right side um, so I'd probably yeah. go with that. However, I do think that Grimaldo is the better player of the two. Yeah, no, I'd, yeah, I'd go with that. I think, um, yeah, he's, he's a terrific player, but with Finagra there, and obviously Jolly, once he comes back, suddenly they could um, be without a right wing back and with two or three decent left wing backs. So, uh, yeah, we'll go with that then. And that brings us to the end of uh, a mammoth episode, really. Um, a good chat with uh, with the transfer window. Well, not coming to an end, but the Premier League dawning on us, um, and a lot of work still to be done. It's going to be interesting because they're going to be playing for a good month before the um, before the the window shuts. So you, you mentioned earlier that a lot of teams start the season and then realise they they haven't got enough or they need something in a certain position while they're not going to have to scramble on deadline day. They're going to have a good while to get that right. They're going to just be looking to try and bring people in as soon as possible before the next game with quarantines and things like that in place. That might not be so easy. So it's definitely going to be a transfer window that we felt like one we've never seen before. Absolutely. And as the clock ticks closer to the Premier League kickoff, we will be providing you with a couple of predictions for the new season. Next week, we'll have two episodes coming out. One of our 1-20 to 20 in the Premier League. And also, we're going to be doing a Kingston corner where we're going to be focusing completely on Saints, including what's happened in pre-season signings, our thoughts and opinions going towards the beginning of the new campaign as that first fixture away at Crystal Palace gets ever closer. Before we go, we just want to let you know that we currently have a Fantasy Premier League league going on at the moment. You can find details to join on our Twitter handle at under underscore saints. If you go down, it is the pinned tweet and you'll be able to join the league complete. No, no entrance fee whatsoever. It's all for a bit of fun and um, see who can, who can last the, uh, the, the full 38 games. Uh, but please, if you listen to the episode, if you like listening to under the lights, then tell your friends as well, please give the league a join if you want to. Uh, but we'll be providing those episodes for you next week as well. Thank you very much for listening this evening. My, if you want to find the podcast on Twitter, again, you can find us at under underscore saints. You can find me on Twitter, Tom Murray, at T214Murray. Find me at Callum Wilson 21 And uh, yeah, if you have any uh, any questions ahead of our next two episodes regarding the, uh, the Premier League predictors and, of course, the uh, All Things Saints episode, then um, then please give us a tweet. Um, and if you've got any comments on where you think your team might finish or any uh, really left-field picks for transfers or, or teams to maybe finish in the top six or in the bottom three, then uh, then just send us a tweet. The, the weirder, the better in terms of those left-field picks, eh, Tom? Absolutely. We want you to get us talking. Obviously, I think that Leeds are a better proposition than Newcastle at the moment, and I'm sure I'm going to get a barrage of happy Leeds fans and angry Newcastle fans, so I can't wait for that. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Under the Lights. We can't wait for the new season to begin. Until then, keep safe.